You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. Check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be in verses 17 through 29 this morning, so chapter 26, verses 17 through 29. And as you're opening, I, I want to just start talking about this. There, if you think about food, there's something about food that brings us all together. And when it brings us together, it kind of helps bring the walls down. Right? When you sit down for a meal over lunch or over dinner, there's just this, this kind of uh, ease, if you will, at the dinner table. We, we enjoy a meal, and when we do that, we, we tend to pray or laugh or just enjoy one another in conversation. Food has a, has a unique way to really deepen community um, and even bring families together. And even food is able to bring enemies together uh, many times. So food, in a very unique way, has a blessing uh, for us in life. And food also has a unique way of really telling a story. So there's a unique story that we want to talk about today in The Passion of Jesus before Jesus gets to the cross, he, he kind of pulls off the highway, if you will, to make a pit stop to have a, to have a meal. He pauses for a meal for a moment. And he will, not, he will not stop to eat in order to preserve his life, to get, to get energy to make it to the cross. He stops with the purpose of sitting down with the disciples, eating a meal in order to tell them an ancient story, an ancient story of redemption. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you a story of really kind of three meals that we see in Scripture today. These, these three meals we see held at separate times throughout the history of the Bible, but all of them have one unified story, that is, a story of redemption. And so I'm going to break it down really simple. We're going to see today the first, what I'll call the first supper, the last supper, and then the forever supper. So the first supper, the last supper, and the forever supper. So today's story in Matthew 26 goes back even further than the time of Jesus to what I'll call the first supper. If you were to go back to the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 12, you'll notice that the Lord instituted something called the Passover. We talked about it a little bit last week, but this is really where we see what I'll call the first supper. The Passover, just as a reminder, was God passing over his people Israel and destroying their enemy, the Egyptians. And so when God, when God decided to save, them from his pe- or to save his people from the Egyptians, he called Israel to pull together tightly and to celebrate this feast, to have this meal where a lamb would be brought in and this lamb would be sacrificed. It would be broken among and for the people. And this lamb that Israel was to bring was to be not just any lamb, but one that was spotless, that was without blemish, that was a, a perfect lamb for the feast. And this lamb would be brought in, and not only part of it would be used, but all of it would be consumed. Every aspect of the lamb would be consumed, meaning none of the sacrifice of the lamb would be remained behind. All of it would be used, and any part that was not used would have to be burned. There's nothing to be left behind. But then they would take the blood of this lamb, 
and they would pour it out into a basin, and they would take this blood, and they would essentially paint it over the door frames. And by painting it over the door frames, what they did was they secured themselves in the blood of the lamb. And so when God sent out to the destroyer, he would pass over the homes that, had, that were covered in the blood of the lamb, and he would then destroy the firstborn of the homes that were not covered in the blood of the lamb. And so we see this story in Exodus, really the first supper. And this was an urgent meal. This wasn't something they they took a long time to really just celebrate and, and draw out. They had to eat this meal with a sense of urgency because as soon as the destroyer would come, Israel would then pack up and go. So God actually told them ahead of time, hey, Israel, you're going to need to get clothed. You're going to need to get ready because as soon as this happens, we're heading out of here. And so we see here that the blood of the lamb was an instant payment followed by instant deliverance from Egypt. There was no, hey, we got to wait seven to ten business days for this to process. No, this was an instantaneous event. And so just as quick as the atonement was for Israel, so was the wrath of God on Egypt. God's wrath on Egypt, as he destroyed the firstborn among the most powerful nation on the planet, it really exposed this of Egypt, that Egypt believed in fraudulent gods. These gods had no power. These gods had no ability to provide for the Egyptians. In fact, these gods had no ability to save. They weren't even real gods. And so year after year, Israel would celebrate the Passover. They they would do it to remember what God had done, delivering his people from the hands of the Egyptians. And they, they have done this for so long and so many times that really the Israelites could do the Passover with their eyes shut. And yet as we reach the New Testament, it is as though the Jews' eyes are still shut. As they are 100% blind to the Passover coming to its perfect fulfillment right in front of them. They are 100% blind to the reality that Jesus has come to deliver them from their sins. You know, even as 21st century Christians, there's many of us who cannot remember a year that Easter was not celebrated. Even if you weren't a believer and you were just big into wearing pastels and hiding Easter eggs, you, you could do it with your eyes closed. But maybe you didn't, you didn't do that. You, you grew up in the church and you could remember vividly all the passion reenactments along with the sunrise service on Sunday morning. And you could do that with your eyes closed. But yet what happens is every year, many of us miss Jesus. And why is that? Because like ancient Israel, we all have a Pharaoh that enslaves our little hearts seeking to pull us away from the Lord speaking really lies to our our minds, saying that Jesus is not strong enough to save you from all the horrible things that you have done. Even that Pharaoh is telling you that Jesus isn't strong enough to save you from all the horrible things that have been done to you. So there's a loud cry in our nation right now. We're all hearing it or we're a part of it. People are in a panic about their jobs, getting food, health care, paying bills, schooling children. And like Israel became enslaved to Pharaoh, so many in our community are becoming enslaved to fear. And fear is becoming the Pharaoh of our day. And this fear is really cracking the whip hard and doing its best to take us out of looking to the one who could actually crush him to pieces. 
So God's word is about to show you and me how Jesus really is the one who victoriously delivers you and I from fear, from sin, from death. Because look, if you if the Bible ended at the book of Exodus with the first supper, with the first supper with Israel coming out of Egypt, we would still be here dead in our sins and without hope. We would all be subject to fear. The Passover was not some religious festival made up by a bunch of Jews who were just bored one day. It was a real event in real history that took us to a place where we would realize that there is a greater redemption. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Jesus is our Passover lamb. See, the first supper is unique because it reminds us not only of what God has done, but what it is that God was going to do. And so read with me in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 26. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Last week I mentioned the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Really, we have kind of multiple things happening during one time. You have the Passover and the Lamb. You have Unleavened Bread. And the Unleavened Bread reminds us that God took Israel out of Egypt. The idea being, in the removing of leaven from bread, you really have the removing of Egypt from Israel, the cleansing of Israel, the purification of Israel. And so we will see this come to beautiful fulfillment with Jesus as he cleanses our hearts, freeing us from the enslavement to our sin. So Jesus arranges this meal in in private, and he does this because he needs to spend some private time with his disciples, teaching them that he is the perfect Passover lamb. He needs one last undisturbed meal with his disciples. And here's the irony of it all. Jesus sits inside the city walls of Jerusalem, the very city of God, the place where the temple um, sits, the place where God would dwell among his people. And here is God in the flesh, dwelling among his people, sitting with his disciples. The Jews had high hope that the Passover would be fulfilled by God's intervention one more time. But little did the Jews know that their deliverer was right there, and deliverance would happen right in front of them. And so here we have the the Passover meal, and here's kind of the the general layout of the Passover meal, and I'm going to read this from a commentator. He said, this would include the setting out of the unleavened bread and the wine, the preparation of the bitter herbs and sauce consisting of dried fruit, spices, and wine, and presumably the roasting of the Passover lamb. And so when the Passover feast was conducted and the meal was um, set before them, you would have really an order of the feast. The first thing that would happen is that the head of the house would pronounce a blessing of the festival and then of the wine. Then everyone would drink their first cup of wine and the food would be brought in. As the evening would go on, the second order of the the evening would take place and the son of the head of the table would ask, why this night? And then the head of the table would explain 
recalling the Exodus story kind of as we did just a few minutes ago, and then praise would break out and the second cup of wine would be drank. Later on, there there would be a third step to this evening, and this is kind of where we find ourselves in the story today, where the head of the house would take the bread and he would pronounce blessing, handing out the bread to those who are there at the table. And at this point, the meal uh, of the lamb started. And when the meal was complete, then the head of the house would pronounce blessing and the third cup of wine would be drank. This is where we find ourselves today. And there's a fourth step that I want you to hear, a step that we will not get to today in this passage. The fourth thing that would happen is that there would be a singing of praise again from the Psalms, and at the conclusion of the singing would the fourth and final cup of wine be drank. And so this order of celebration would make sense as Jesus draws the meal to a close here in a few minutes. So let me ask you, Is your speech, your prayers, a pronouncement of blessing, or are they more of a cursing right now? I'm not sure about you, but I've been pretty angry. I've been pretty frustrated lately. I've been tired, miserable, irritable. I've allowed the weariness of this whole coronavirus to rob me of the real hope that I have living inside of me. And I'm sure the same is for many of you. But here's the thing you and I have the opportunity to pronounce blessing instead of a curse. I mean, think about it. Shouldn't we as Christians have the biggest reason to celebrate this week? Don't you think we should be throwing the biggest blessings, the biggest parties that are approved, of course, with the biggest smiles, sharing the biggest reason to have hope and not fear? Shouldn't we be the loudest? And I, and I know it stinks that we cannot have Easter together as a church family, but that does not mean our Savior is quarantined. That doesn't mean he's blocked out from being worshipped. It doesn't mean that Jesus is subject to a stay-at-home order. Jesus still moves. He still reigns as the resurrected Savior. We, we may be on lockdown, but he is alive and actively moving across the globe. So why don't you just take the next minute or two and just... Think about the blessings that you have instead of the fear that you have. And so what is special about this meal is that Jesus would be the one raising the glass, giving the blessing to the disciples. He's the head. He's the one directing the course of this meal. And even though Jesus knew he was about to suffer and die, he, was, he knew that he was going to suffer and die for sins he never committed, but yet he found reason to pronounce blessing. You and I have reason to raise a glass to toast to the Passover lamb. You and I are the ones who have committed sins, and yet Jesus would take the punishment? Why are we not pronouncing blessing? Why do we mope? Why do we wallow in self-pity? Why, do we, why are we always full of sorrow? Jesus pronounces blessing over you and me, and he is the one who willingly took himself to the cross. We have every reason to pronounce blessing today. We can do it online, in our social circles, in our next Zoom meeting if we want. As we say goodnight to our roommates, as we tuck in our kids to bed, we have ample opportunity to pronounce blessing. So look around you. There are blessings everywhere. Yeah, there's reason to fear or be worried all around you, but there are many more blessings. The Lord is good. He's good. And even among those who hate him, he is still kind and gracious. We see this sort of kindness as really one of his close friends betrays him. Follow with me in verse 20. 
When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. The Gospel of John records it a little more explicitly. It is, it, it is whom I shall give this morsel when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. It's very clear. Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. Now, I know Jesus said some really harsh things. It would have been better for them, for Judas not to have been born. I mean, he's betraying the Son of God. But notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't stand up and say, you know what, I take everything I said to you back. I take it back. He doesn't say, I wish we were never friends. Jesus doesn't regret his his friendship or blessings to Judas. Judas is willingly rejecting Jesus, taking what Jesus was doing as a blessing for him and turning it into a curse. Look, Jesus was grieved by Judas's betrayal. Another gospel records this, citing Psalm 41.9. Psalm 41.9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Charles Spurgeon said, Judas was an apostle admitted to the privacy of the great teacher, hearing his secret thoughts and, as it were, allowed to read his very heart. The kiss of the traitor wounded our Lord's heart as much as the nail wounded his hand. And so as much as it would pain Jesus to see Judas betray him, Judas does not get a free pass to just sin against God. Mark, Mark 8.38 talks about how the Son of Man will judge. John's Gospel tells us then at this point in the meal that Satan entered into Judas and then Jesus directed Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. So after receiving the morsel, he immediately went out and it was night. Judas only made it to the second toast of the evening. That was the toast, if you remember, where the son asked, why this evening? And then the father would explain the story of the Exodus. Judas is so blind to see that he is still enslaved to sin. Judas will miss explaining, uh, Jesus explaining in the next verses how his body and his blood are what is required for the forgiveness of sin. Judas is acting like Egypt. He's not participating in the blood of the Passover lamb. Instead, Judas saw an opportunity to make a few bucks, and he did. In our, in our culture right now, in our society right now, now is about the time where people start to panic. This is where people are starting to get hungry and making irrational decisions about life, about the future, about making money, making ends meet. Panic and fear are really setting in. And yet Jesus is sitting across the table. And all the while we're thinking, I've, I've got to figure this out on my own. Jesus isn't going to do anything for me. But, but I would encourage you, now's not the time, like Judas, to turn against the Lord, but to turn to Him. So are you angry? Turn to Jesus. And not to the enslavement of a raging heart. Are you tired? I know we all are. 
Turn to Jesus and not to the enslavement of a weary soul. Are you anxious? Turn to Jesus and not to the enslavement of a panicked mind. Jesus has everything that Judas would have ever needed, but Judas thought otherwise. Judas got paid, but in the end, Judas was never satisfied with the money. The scripture speaks of him trying to give that money back. They wouldn't receive it back, and at that point, it was too late. He betrayed, presumably, his best friend. So who and what are you looking to other than Jesus right now, if you are? Are you like Judas, and you want money instead of Jesus right now? Are you looking to the to the government to swoop in and save the day? And look, don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for what the government is, is able to do, but you and I know all this money that we're about to get, all the forgivable loans handed out, all of it comes at a price and ultimately doesn't resolve the real problem of the heart. So what does Jesus have to offer that money can't seem to buy right now? You're scared, you're nervous, you're concerned. What is it that Jesus can bring to the table to help ease the pain, ease the suffering? And this is where Jesus invites you to the table, tells you to pull up a chair and join him for a meal. Verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Last Supper. We saw the First Supper with uh, Israel in Exodus 12. Now we are seeing the Last Supper. And this is the Last Supper, not because it all ends here, but because there will be no more need for sacrifice after Jesus dies on the cross. There will be no more need to host the Passover meal. Jesus will inaugurate a new Passover, a new exodus, a new covenant with his people. And so Jesus now sitting here as the head of the table, as the head of the table, and he takes the bread and he breaks it apart. He says, take, eat, this is my body. Jesus is not a freak promoting cannibalism. Jesus is telling the disciples that he, the bread of life, is about to die and that they too are to come and die so that they might live. No, Jesus is not telling them to join him on the cross. He's calling them to join him in his death by faith. And why? Because in the death of Jesus, the disciples will then find death to the old man, death to their sin, death to the Pharaoh of their souls. So Jesus calls the disciples, come and join me in my death. There is life in my death. And so he hands out the bread and then he grabs the wine and he pours the wine and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This represents a a covenant sacrifice, blood that would count as payment for the sins of the people, much like the blood of the lamb covering the sins or covering over the Israelites in the land of Egypt. Jesus calls the disciples to partake in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine because it shows the disciples how Jesus must die for their sins and how his blood is the only blood that forever pays for their sin. 
The blood of a million lambs could not come close to paying for the sins of all the people for all time, but the blood of the one perfect spotless lamb, Jesus, his blood never ceases to atone. Day and night, year after year, generation after generation, the blood of Jesus covers the sins of the people. Never again will another animal have to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Jesus calls the disciples to die to themselves and to live under a new and better covenant inaugurated under his blood. So what does Jesus have to offer, really, that the world cannot? He offers freedom. He offers freedom from sin. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus' purpose was to take us from being under a yoke of slavery and bondage to being truly free and under his reign, under his rule. This is a grander picture of Israel coming out of Egypt. They came out free. They left enslaved and came out free. Pharaoh, the taskmasters, and even his army could no longer have power over Israel anymore. Israel was now under the domain or dominion of the Lord. This is who we are by faith. This is our position by faith in Jesus. We are now free from our sin and free to live under his dominion and no longer the dominion of the old man, the old Pharaoh, the old taskmaster, the old regime. We are now able to live free to him and under him. So you want to be without fear during this time of pandemic? Put your faith in Jesus and watch as your fears fall to the grave. Jesus also provides for us freedom from shame, freedom from condemnation. The world guarantees shame and condemnation because you'll never live up to its expectations of you. It will always come down on you and you will always feel the need to perform, to do more, to try harder, and to stay ahead. But you will only find yourself just making bricks without straw. One of the greatest moments in the story of the Exodus is after Israel crossed the Red Sea. Israel crossed on dry ground and Egypt was pursuing them between the walls of the parted sea. The ground was dry for Israel, but the ground was not dry for the Egyptians. And in fact, the wheels of the chariots were getting clogged up in the mud. And just as the last Israelite crossed safely, the Lord brought back the sea on all of Egypt. Israel stood and watched as their enemy was put to death. And then, standing on the shore, they watched as the bodies of the Egyptians came floating to shore. The imagery is grotesque, grotesque, but it's profound. Our sin, by faith in Jesus, is no more alive than those Egyptians. When Jesus died on the cross and came out of the grave, he put all of our sin to death And then he brings us to the other side on dry ground through the resurrection. All the shame, all the condemnation, all the enslavement is put to death in the crushing blow of the cross. We can stand on the shore and we can see our sin, the old man, Pharaoh, dead. So you want to be rid of shame and condemnation, the pressures of the world? Put your faith in Jesus and watch as he puts your shame to death in the crushing blow of the cross. He gives you true joy hope and happiness. Yeah, the the cross is brutal, it's horrific, but the hope is on the other side of the cross that brings us joy. The world only has to offer solutions to get you by through the day, the week, through the month. You know, here's a check, here's some money to help you put food on the table, but that's all temporal. That all eventually fades out, but the gospel of Jesus brings about a true joy that nothing in this life 
could ever bring. In this life, you're always guaranteed death. You're always guaranteed an expiration date. But in Christ, you are guaranteed eternal life. And that gives us reason to hope. In Christ, we are also guaranteed the Father's provision. With with this sort of promise, you and I don't have to worry. If you were to go back to the story of the Exodus when Israel came out, one of the things you'll notice is that when they came out of Egypt, God had them plunder the Egyptians. These were poor, enslaved Jewish people that had nothing. But yet when God struck them down, he had Israel go in and plunder them, take all really that was stolen from them, if you will. And then when he brought them to on the other side of the sea, God didn't stop providing for them at that point, saying, hey, you have all the funds and the resources you need. You don't need me anymore. No, they still lacked food. They still lacked bread. They still lacked water. And God would continue to provide for them. In fact, the scripture tells us for 40 years, their clothes and their shoes never wore out. And so what are you fearful of not having during this time? Do you not see time and time again the Lord providing for his people? Jesus teaches us that the Father in heaven promises to feed and clothe his people. It may not be you earning a wage and buying the food, but it it might be a good neighbor just randomly showing up with food to offer you. It it could be a friend who wants to just give up some clothes that they're not going to wear anymore. It, It doesn't matter the way that it happens. The point is the Father makes sure that you are taken care of. So do not fear. And so I want to be clear, I'm not, call, I'm not telling you everything is going to be, you know, like sweet smelling roses all the time. Suffering and affliction happen at, as it is now, but there is a real hope in Jesus. Don't be settled with this world. By faith in Jesus, we long for a new day, a better and living hope, another supper where the food is eternally satisfying. Two very important meals have taken place in Scripture that are helpful for us today. These meals tell us a very hopeful story of a sinless, selfless Savior who would give up His life and pour out His blood for our sake. But there's still one supper that we are to have, a supper we are to long and desire for on the other side of heaven. Verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Remember how I told you the Passover had four different times of toasting and drinking the wine? Jesus just finished the third toasting, and he's supposed to go on to his fourth, but he doesn't. The fourth cup represents consummation, meaning everything will be fully accomplished. So while salvation is going to be provided because of the cross and the resurrection, It will not be perfectly complete until Jesus comes back and all of creation is perfectly restored. So right now, we live in the already but not yet. This this means that Jesus has saved us from our sin, but we still long for the day when sin will be completely done away with. And so this sort of longing is what we see, or what I call the forever supper. The forever supper, Revelation 19.9 a picture of the future, of the day when Jesus comes back. It says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a picture of the defeat of sin, of death and Satan and the eternal reign of Jesus. It can be assumed in in this feast that we will eat and raise our own cups 
to toast the final toast of the Passover lamb. And until then, we are really just living between the suppers. As much as I would love to have you all in your homes right now, just break bread and drink wine as an act of communion or the Lord's Supper, I cannot lead you in that way. And why? Because communion or the Lord's Supper is an act of oneness. You heard me mention earlier how Israel was to do this together as one people. And so we see this practice within the body of Christ. We are one in Christ and we are to hold off until we can all come together. But I'll say this. This should cause you to long for Jesus, to long for his church, for the reuniting of his people in the Sunday gathering. If you are content with doing just church at home with your family and you never long for the church gathered, then you're really missing the gospel. You're missing the meaning of the Passover, the work of the Passover lamb. Church, we are to long for our God together as the one church that He saved from their sins. As the church, we are to long to see our brothers and sisters. We are to long to join them in singing worship to our sacrificial lamb. We are to long for the collective hearing of God's Word because it brings life. We are to long to take communion together because it reminds us of a much bigger picture, a bigger hope, a greater supper where all of God's people for all time will have a seat at the same table and all of us will feast and all of us will raise a glass in one unified motion to the completed work of Christ. And so here you are watching me on the internet. You're at home and you're at home today and I'm sure at some point you're going to sit down and you're going to have a meal. And I would encourage you to use that time to pray to talk, to think about the gospel of Jesus. If you're the head of your home, today would be a great day to lead the conversation at your dinner table around the hope found in Jesus dying and shedding his blood for his people. As you eat, don't just casually and religiously thank God for the food, but cry out to him in hunger of his salvation, in thirst of his redemption, and with a longing for his church to come back together as the unified table of the Lord.